From New York City, the Comedy Cellar and Rethink Production present Live from America Podcast. We will make America great again. How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? Live from America Podcast. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Just so you understand. We can't be the stupid country anymore. Live from America podcast. I believe we can keep the promise of our founding. The idea that if you're willing to work hard, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you look like or where you love. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Native American or young or old or rich or poor, able, disabled, gay or straight. You can make it here in America if you're willing to try. It's just words, folks. It's just words. This is Live from America Podcast with Noam Dorman and Haddon Gab. All right. Good evening and welcome to Live from America Podcast from the Comedy Store in New York City. Uh, welcome everybody to the show and thank you for listening. Uh, you can always contact us at the comedy uh, at Life from America at thecomedyseller.com. Uh, we're going to talk about New York City tonight uh, and we have a great guest. Nobody can uh, talk about it better than him. He's a historian and author of two great books and more Gotham, The History of New York City to 1898, and then Volume 2, Greater Gotham, The History of New York City. From 1898 to 1990, Mr. Mike Wallace, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, comedian Tony Darrow, <laughs> born his his credit is that he was born and raised in, uh, in New York City. Yes, of course. And Deep was here, of course. Noam Dorman and myself. So uh, welcome everybody to the show. And uh, Mr. Mike, I want to ask you something uh, first. Uh, the name Gotham, you know, that you chose for the book, and it's your center as well, right? Yes. Uh, why did you pick that name? I heard long that there is a. I know it's a little town, little village in England, and it was famous for people was were pretending that they're crazy, so the king doesn't take their stuff. Correct. Pretty much. Yeah. So w- is that something that you felt New Yorkers would do? That's why uh, you chose that name, or there's another name? Well, Gotham, a town of no great significance whatsoever, and never has been, mm-hmm. uh, is right near Sherwood Forest of Robin Hood fame. Uh, and in from the 13th, 14th, 15th century on, it was known as a proverbial village of idiots. <laughs> Like, how many Gothamites does it take to screw in a light bulb sort of uh. thing? And there were joke books that were passed around about how stupid uh, Gothamites were. But there was this counter story that Gothamites were shrewd buggers pretending to be crazy to stop the king from entering and taking their their land. And uh, both sides of this were appealing to New Yorkers. One of them was Washington Irving. Mm-hmm. our first significant player in world literature, who was at that point in the 1820s a Brat Pack youth commentator on New York City foibles. Uh, and he, in a put-down, talking about rich people, basically, uh, said that they're all citizens of Gotham. So it's an attack, it's a put-down. But on the other side, there was already this love in new york of doing deals that screw people uh, <laughs> who are unprepared for them or v- rubes coming in from out of town or indians from whom you 
did the $24 deal. Mm -hmm. So it was like Yankee Doodle had been intended as a put-down, but was picked up and turned into a, yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of that. And Gotham is a nickname, sort of went in and out over the centuries until it was completely revived by the Batman people. Oh, yeah. The Batman people took over Gotham. So uh, in uh, do you think that people right now are, as, as a historian, let's talk about like right now, do you think people are trapped in uh, the present than the past? They don't care about history as much? They're, you mean they're not trapped in the past? They, they're trapped in the present, yeah. They're trapped in the present, yeah. Uh, well, New York is American, and American has favorite tenses, and the favorite tense is probably the future, mm -hmm. seconded by the present, dimly followed by the past. Past can be kind of entertaining. You can read historical novels, uh, see historical movies, but it's basically irrelevant. Mm -hmm. uh, the past is over. You want to say somebody is headed, is finished, uh, he's history, you know. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a de-empowering. If you don't understand that history is not dead, but it's very much alive, and it's in fact flowing through the present, and it's given us a matrix of constraints and possibilities which shape the possibilities that we have to deal with. And the, the more we know about how the present came to be, the better we are to get wherever we want to go. Mm -hmm. Doesn't guarantee you anything. Uh, but it's uh, it's an empowering device. So Americans kind of short circuit themselves, but, and it's sort of nice, you know. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. There's this optimism, can do, uh, which is energizing, liberating. But if you don't know what you're really up against, mm -hmm. uh, you're gonna stick your foot in it. Well, I, I I'm happy I remember the past, and I'm I didn't realize he was so pro-Israel, and I'm, I appreciate that little uh, uh, pro-Israel. Uh, um... You are. Well, isn't that, isn't that, you know, we, we, were, we were there first. Israeli or yeah. Jews? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm teasing you. Uh, anyway, um, uh, uh, so, so go ahead. I'm I, sorry. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I like to, to bash him a little bit. We always do. So uh, is there book three coming up? Coming up is a capacious term. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, it's down capacious. the road. It depends on sufficient longevity, but a lot of it's already written, so there's a reasonable chance of limping over the finish line. So, where where are you politically on on New, in, on New York City? Because, you know, one of the things I've noticed politically in the city doing business here is that people are actually very attached to the not-so-distant past, meaning that they, they latch on to whatever it looked like when they were, like, you know, between the ages of 10 and 25, and they resent anything in the city that changes from that moment on. So they try to landmark everything, and people long for the good old days of porn theaters in Times Square, like, whatever it was, whatever it was <laughs> when they were a I kid. I did, yeah, over here. Yeah. And, and it, it stifles progress. It's, it's tough to, to, to do anything um, because people are fixated on a, on a particular point in time. Have you ever thought about that? You know, there's, yeah, there's no constructive... Yeah, I mean, you need a balance. The historic preservation movement, which sort of goes back to really the 1850s, 1860s, was a, an attempt to put limits on what the free market, in real estate in particular, could do. 
and to argue that an understanding of history is harder to maintain if there's no remnants of that history in existence. Um, and New York is a dynamo, uh, and it constantly tears things down and rebuilds them. And in the 1840s, in the 1850s, they were saying, nobody loves New York, really, because there's no New York to love. Uh, if you go out of town for a few years, you come back, there's absolutely nothing you remember. And this tornado of tearing down and building up is already well underway. And there were some people who said, uh, this is... This is a problem. Uh, there's no sense of continuity. There's no sense of place. There's no sense of history, how things, you know, have evolved. But you can stifle, too. And although that's never been New York's great problem. Uh, the people who are interested in tearing down and building up have generally picked up the marbles. But the little little fences have been constructed around particular spots that are like, you know, time zoos uh, where you can touch, feel, get a sense of continuity. Yes. Um, it, it is a difficult balance. I mean, I, I've come up against times where just like, you know, you can't get anything done because you know, some, some great, the, the, the child of some famous author lived in a bedroom here for three weeks in the 1850s. And now, you, <laughs> now, literally, now, now you can't, you can't touch it. By the way, I did have a, experience I hadn't thought about it in, in 20 years that I was it was the late 90s and I was driving through somewhere in Midtown and it was a building that had just been uh, exploded you know demolished and torn down and it exposed a wall that probably hadn't been exposed in a hundred years yeah. and it was one of these old painted brick walls and it said buggy repair oh, cool. and uh, and I remember, uh -huh. and and both before the age of cell phones you know so i couldn't take out the message i was like also remind me of that novel time and again like all of a sudden it was back right. like that's what it looked like in the 1800s buggy repair anyway there used to be uh it's still there called theater alley just on you know park row city hall park just behind park row where the first theater in new york city was was a back alley uh through which ladies of the evening would ascend through their own staircase to the top tier where the gentlemen in the audience were not so gentle would <laughs> meet them and make assignations for local brothels afterwards. The good old days. But uh, yeah. that alley uh, is not part of the traffic flow. I mean, nothing happens there, storage or bits of things. So for the longest time, there was a huge sign advertising jazz music j-a-s-s and that dates from i'd say 1916 1917 uh because jazz originally was with s's and then it switched over to z i didn't know that uh or another favorite place on 42nd street and fifth avenue it's now already covered over but they tore across from the library diagonally they did one of those exact same things. They tore down the building, and then you could see exposed the outlines of the staircase the, that had been there. And that building was where Edith Wharton would have walked down those stairs for her coming out party. It was the vice president of the United States' uh, house. Who's, I don't know who Edith Wharton is. Hmm? I don't know who she, she wrote Ethan Frome. I've heard of Ethan Fromm, yeah. Ah, uh, oh, sorry. Um, I'm a little I, I'm, I'm up on <laughs> this because she's day. a novelist from the period of this volume that I've just finished, so I've been steeped in her. 
Well, Elizabeth a, Barrett Browning, I think, lived across the street, by the way, one time. Maybe go ahead. Okay, you I've got me. You got me. We're even. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't she write Little, Little Women or something? That's no, that was. Alcott. Yeah. Jesse Alcott? I don't know. Didn't Emily Ed, Bronte? Didn't Ed Cott, Ed Cott used to live in the Washington Muse over here? Who did? Ed Koch. Oh, uh, did he? Or uh, yeah. I know he lived somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, Washington uh, Muse, right over there. Yeah, right he, he used Google. to be the assemblyman from from this district. Oh yeah. Yeah, my, my father, you know, used to battle with Koch, because Koch right. was trying. You, Koch was trying to close down all the the coffee houses. Uh, you know, they just finally, I think I read, they finally got rid of the cabaret law in they New did. York City. They did a few years yeah, ago. A few years ago. But in the '60s, during the great folk music boom in in greenwich village right. all the places that for the most part that were, sh were having this music were operating illegally because this violated the cabaret law you were not allowed to have music at that time and uh. koch was the guy who was going around trying to shut down all the illegal coffee houses so, and so koch was like the enemy i remember my father even had uh buttons printed up uh for his when koch was running for assemblyman i think don't be a koch sucker <laughs> <laughs> and and he debated Koch on TV, and then he became he actually really? became a fan of Koch. Yeah, he on on the I think it was the Joe Franklin show. I think Joe Franklin used to have politics in the afternoon at one point. Oh my time. god, I'd love Channel to see Nine. That. Yeah, and he, and he got mad. He was yelling at. I remember he was yelling at Joe Franklin and wagging his finger, uh, and they ran that all day as the promo. You know, like tonight at seven o'clock or whatever. It oh, is. that's hilarious! <laughs> wow, I remember seeing Koch, when Koch was mayor. You don't him. need microphones, oh, Tony. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. When Koch was mayor, <laughs> you'd always see him walking around the city. I always run into him. And he was, how am I doing? Because he, he was pretty popular at the beginning of his term. At the end of a term, not so much. So he, you always see him walking around. He was a pretty popular mayor, I think. In the beginning, but then he went downhill. Right? They, always yeah, was, they, they always overstayed their, their, their welcome. Their term was, was not his best term. No, no. but uh, he was popular in the beginning. How am I doing? Remember that? Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you a question. Why is New York City, I do a joke, I say about New York City, it's the world's uh, largest outdoor mental institution. <laughs> why is New York City, uh, why do we have so many crazy, why do we have so many nuts in this, as opposed to other cities? Other cities aren't like this. Other cities you can walk around without, you know, people having psychotic episodes. Why is it New York City uh, special in that way? And has it always been like that? Well, I'm a little fuzzy on exactly what you mean by psychotic episodes. You want to travel around the city with me? And why so many homeless people on the street? Like crazy people. So many crazy people. I can't answer that. So many people having psychotic episodes. I mean, you go to so you mean really Rome or San Francisco? You don't see that or any other. San Francisco, yeah, not like that. Not like New York. Not like well, to some extent, this. If if we're on the same page here right. as to who who the subject are, uh, some of this was a, an effort at reform at one point, uh, where people were basically evicted from public housing or shelters because they would do better in the community, and in the community wound up being the streets. And right. there were a lot of this in the eighties. Uh, but but uh, but other I know I, I know but other cities have a homeless problem. I mean, Seattle probably has the worst homeless problem in the country. But they don't have as many crazy people. Crazy people walking yeah. around. I, I you know you know acting out. Uh, he doesn't know. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I, let me ask you a question. You I guys, have, let's go a question. Uh, we, need, we need statistics. You know <laughs> uh, what? What about this this congestion? Pricing is that what they call it? Congestion pricing. They, they <laughs> I like it. congestion pricing. They both they both appropriate. 
they're, they're going to start charging people. Are they going to do that? They, they want to. It's looking like it might happen. This is the most regressive, like, I mean, t- listen. Start uh, charging people for what? To, to travel below 61st Street or, you know, through Midtown, whatever it is, during, during uh, working hours or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, they're going to clear out all the working stiffs out of New York City so I can get to work faster, you know, so I can drive from my house in Westchester straight to my garage on 3rd Street. And all the people who, <laughs> who can't afford it are going to have to try to find other ways to, I mean, it's, it's so arrogant. It but, reminds me when Bloomberg raised all the, the, the parking fines and the towing fines. So all these people who work for a living can't afford to get their yeah. cars out. Do they well, lose touch? Well, like, do they only care about the, the really poor and they have no regard for the middle class? Well, the thing is, they like, have to do something. They uh, have to do something about, uh, like, I, I we really have they have to do something before. about traffic. It's been this way forever. No, it's gotten a lot worse in the last ten years because of all the Ubers and Vias and Lyfts that that weren't here ten years ago, and now there's more of those than there are taxis. I'm, I mean, I'm partial to your argument. Uh, what they've come up with are some interesting statistics. They, I mean, they counted the number of people who are, you know, at the bottom of the heap, and how many of them come into work and. Four percent, I think, was the number. Uh, and of those, only a small portion were actually impoverished. So, but what about people who make, you know, forty thousand dollars a year? Like, it's a lot to 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 tell people that they can't well, drive. Well, if you're if you're a middle class, it what is do you a do? lot. It's a lot, particularly if you let the public transit system wear down. I mean, that's the real problem. But I go even further than you than that, and this then, and I know that this separates kind of like a left from center maybe or even left from center right which is that i i I, even if i had great public transportation i still think it's a step backwards that i can't drive myself in the privacy of my own car and the comfort of my own car listening to what i want to listen to you know that like not have to wait for the train all all that that's a class thing too when automobiles came in i had to do a big big deal on the arrival of the automobile in new york in this second volume it really was a class thing, uh, and it was partly exactly that, that we don't have to ride with all the poor, smelly people no, in, the, in the horse that. car carriages. I don't want to ride with anybody, I, I, rich people. I, I, like, I, like the, I like to put on my, my radio and relax and, and drive and be able to go straight to the building on going when it's, I hate the cold. I don't want to wait there freezing. I don't want to go down the stairs. I don't. I, I all the I'm, things. That I'm, are involved, I'm with you, know? you but yeah. if everybody does whatever they want to, and you're living in a densely packed environment, something's mm. got to give. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I, I, I understand he's, that. He's but Jewish, I, but but I feel like what's going to give here is that the rich. Now, and I, I don't want to call myself rich, but I'm at the point where I'm. I don't care what they charge me. I'm not going. I'm just going to pay. Right. So, and it. But I know that there are people that it is going to affect. And that bothers me. Well, it bothers me that people that live in the city, I think they should have people who live in the city drive in the city and no one else unless you have a commercial vehicle. This is just too many cars. But if somebody lives on 60th Street and, and if they have to go up to 70th Street to get something, Tony, come back, they got to pay a toll. They got a bunch yeah. of kids. That's ridiculous. What? What do you mean, families? Maybe I misunderstood. You said oh, people who live in the city should be able to drive? People that, I, I think only people that... that their car is registered in the city, should be allowed to drive in the city. Well, what about people who want to visit the city? Well, there's many other ways to visit the city. No, you don't have to drive. Actually, Those people are going to be convenient. shelling out a bunch of money for hotels and other stuff anyway. Do so you, what's a few extra dollars on top of that? Do you, do you know what it means for me with my three kids if I had to take trains 
to take spend a day in the city. <laughs> oh, I know it. It would suck. It's but, more than it's, but, it's ridiculous. But you don't even have to take a train. You could just take a train to uh, a, a place and then take an Uber or a cab. You don't have to take a train it's, all over the city. A, you don't have to take very, the subway. It's very difficult. It's inconvenient. It's it is. Difficult. You're right. It's, but it's very, many... very expensive, and people can't afford it. But it's I... expensive to drive. It's expensive. Everything's expensive. But we don't. There's there's not enough streets for the amount of cars we have. And that's. I, I don't. It's getting worse. It's also and this was in the battle. There were committees to decrease the congestion of New York City in 1910, and the blame was put on the skyscrapers and the tall office towers that sucked in huge numbers of people every morning and then spewed them out at night, which overtaxed uh, old cowpats. I mean, amazingly enough, Wall Street, the whole financial center, is one of the few places on earth where a financial center is crammed into 17th century street grid. Right. right. But Boston is like that kind of, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but not, not like this. Bad. I mean... Uh, anyway, I, I don't know what the other um, proposals are to help traffic, but it does bother me that it's going to get to be, if you have more money, you have your way. Well, I, mean, I, I like the guy the who, who argued against something similar to this about selling landing rights to uh, your airplane if that paid enough extra money would get bumped up in the uh, flight path down to the, the airport. Uh, and so people were thinking, like, oh, there's going to be people who are kept, keep getting sort of uh, under, under, underbid or overbid and are just perpetually doomed to go <laughs> round and round until they crash. <laughs> uh, it didn't happen that way. Uh, <laughs> By the way, did you see this documentary, Tall? No. Do you know about it? No. There's a documentary, I happen to know about this, this documentary filmmaker, his name is Manfred Kirschheimer. Does the name Kirschheimer ring a bell to anybody who's Facebook friends of mine? His, his, his friend, he's the Dan, Daniel Kirschheimer, the guy I argue with on, on Facebook. Uh, his father, I think he's in his 80s now, maybe even his 90s, is a very esteemed documentary filmmaker. And he, there's a, I saw reviews about it. There's a documentary out now, which I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to see it, about all the skyscrapers yeah. and the building of all And it's very nicely reviewed in the Times- uh, it's right up your alley. I'll have a look. It's called Tall, yeah, by Manfred Kirschheimer. It just came out? I, I, it just came out. It's oh. it, within the last few weeks. I, I have a question for yeah. the table. I've been here the in New York the least this amount of time. This is Stephen Calabria, by the way. Yeah, uh, I joined this is late. the table. Uh, first of all, are you a native New Yorker? I am. Okay, so is all the changes, are all the changes that we've seen over the past 20 years, and from what I've heard, it's been a lot, are they worth it? Because there's something lost from everything being safe there's something lost from uh shut up come on <laughs> like really yeah you talk to... safety is really annoying is it, where's uh, the fun where's the risk yeah exactly uh, well exactly. I, I will say this are Back... we talking 42nd street and poor and poor alley we're talking oh. everywhere I mean, look at hell's yeah. kitchen how much how vibrant it is now compared to like you know 25 years ago when it was a slum pretty much you Dude, know, hell's it, kitchen it's all like it, 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 restaurants it, and clubs and if i could snap my finger and put yeah. new york back to exactly the way it was in 1990 you'd be turn it off turn it off oh, yeah. it was horrible it was I, it was you you can't understand it was like night of the living dead the crack problem was ridiculous uh, you, you, we really thought we were done yeah i it mean was it it, was it's not it's not like apocryphal that when giuliani took over whatever you think about him people really thought the city was ungovernable it couldn't be done it was just spinning out of control now to to what extent 
He deserves the credit, demographics, technology, which took porn out of the, th- I don't know, but I, I've told this story before, but when I used to drive home late at night, my father would tell me as we're going through like Willis Avenue and all that stuff, he said, just run every red light. So if a cop pulls you over, <laughs> just tell him, you know, uh, tell him that they were, you were scared and, if they, and pay the ticket. That, that was my orders. Run every red light wow. because yeah. it was too dangerous. Uh, wasn't mm-hmm. worth the risk. Maybe he stopped at a red light. Maybe he just didn't like you. Well, my friend that lived in the... <laughs> no, 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 but no. It was like you, could, you stopped at a red light. They would descend on you and squeegee people. Yeah. For the most part, they were. But but one out of 10 or one out of 20, they'd wipe. If you didn't give them money, they, they'd get right. violent or irate. It was, and, and, if you're, and if you were a girl alone in your car... What what are the good old days well, to you about that also, time? What my, do you miss? My friend at that time, my friend, this is like 1980, I guess, about 1980. My friend lived in the South Bronx, and uh, he had every lock. He had the the, the deadbolt, the policeman's thing, oh, that's and, right. and the uh, the windows. <laughs> yeah, the, the, triple the, triple lock was yeah, the, the standard. The gates on the windows, the whole right. thing. You know how they got into his apartment? The apartment next to it was empty. He came home from work. They broke a big hole in his bedroom that's wall, hilarious. and they stole everything. It's yeah, don't you miss that? Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, because he is not a New Yorker because he put a lot of locks. Everybody knows you don't do that because you, you grab attention to your car or your home. That, that was the old bit. I like the sitcom. They'd have the lock, the lock, the lock, the lock. That's where people lived, you know? Okay, but, Everybody I know was mugged. But the Everybody. police lock. But remember the one that went to the floor? Yeah, with the, with the, with the with door. The, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, but take it from the perspective of someone who moved knows nothing about it go ahead exactly who knows absolutely nothing about that that uh world who moves to new york five years ago he wants he wants to to live in midnight cowboy that's all (laughs) i know hell yeah (laughs) but you walk around new york now it's like a theme park you know uh it's the same six chains over and over again uh especially around manhattan I agree with you about that. But that's Wait, a, that, yeah, that's the world, though. There's, there's a book out on the suburbanization of New York really? uh, yeah. that, that that calls attention to that fact. But I, so, I blame, I blame, you know, I, I blame liberal big government policies for that. I, I truly do. Because I, mom and pop stores cannot operate anymore. It's too difficult. The technical requirements, the technical knowledge, the economies of scale that you're competing against with these big corporations and all the, and all the advantages that they have. But it's mainly real estate values. They can't, they're getting priced out of their businesses because nope. they can't afford the land and the rent that it's jacked up. No, I don't, I don't believe that's the, that's the reason. I, 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 I don't think that I could run a coffee house, even if it was busier than Starbucks, next to a Starbucks and survive. They have so many advantages in terms yeah, of doing but they've all got the- advertising muscle. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this, and I'm not sure that government regulations are high on the list. I'm well. I'm telling you that as a business owner, when I when I think back to what it meant to run a business, you know, 30 years ago, it was a pretty easy thing. There's a few little things you had to do. The 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 legal hoops that you have to jump through now, the inspections, the the things. How can like like I, met, I, I keep thinking, do you remember, because you probably don't know this, but just because you're into New York, there used to be a place called Jacob's Fountain on uh, Broadway between 99th and 100th Street. It was this two old, like, Polish couple that had a soda fountain and comic book store, candy store. You know the type of store that yeah, used yeah, to yeah. exist. I can't even imagine how they, could, uh, how they could negotiate the requirements of a business today. It just, I, and then if they had to be next door to a, a CVS... They can get the candy cheaper, that the accounting right. and the oh, legal you know and all the compliances is on a nationwide basis and, and the insurance that they can get 
an economy to scale, and and because of all the liabilities there are now, it's it, it's very very. Now maybe that's not the only cause. But you walk but around New York cause. City, all you see are small businesses. I mean, I'm sure there are chains, but they don't stand. Well, rent they, they rent, is, rent is one small aspect of it. No, he's absolutely. You know, I owned a, ca- a cafe. I didn't know. Back that. in the day, yeah. Um, in, uh, well, what was your experience? It's the same exactly like you said. Tell, tell like, us about it. it. It's like, you know, you can't compete with the big stores and like people get a better deal. So you will have them come visit you on a Sunday or something, you know, but not in a daily basis because everybody want to save money, you know. And then you have the interest, you have the employees, you know, because you, you, you open, you know, pretty much 24 hours, you know. So all this is just like you can't compete. There's no way. So at the end of the day, you will be packed. You'll be busy. But you don't sell. You have to sell with certain prices to compete with them, you know, and it's not enough. So it's a very difficult climate now, and 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 I really think that's a it's a part of it is that there's just it's just very very difficult to and there's a lot of rules about running a business now and a lot of expenses and big corp it gives big corporations a big advantage. But I think I, also I think, a lot of businesses go up because they're successful in a good area. Like there used to be a great pizza place on Seventy Eighth Street for a slice. I used to buy where Stand Up New York is. I used to stop there, and I was driving down Broadway one day, and I said, "I gotta stop there and get a slice." And uh, it's a Marshalls now. I mean, yeah. do we I mean, really I need mean, a Marshalls you, you get you get tired of of just surviving. You know what I'm saying? You'll be like, That's "Okay, right. why why am I doing?" You get tired of surviving. And by the way, real estate is about to crash for sure if it's not already crashing because in New York, it's got to. I mean, when I say real estate, rents rents, retail is dying. And if it's not going to go out of business, the rents that they can afford to pay have to go down because they're losing 10, 15, 20, 30% of their business now to online sales. Now, prices, as they say, are sticky downward. It'll take a while for the landlords. A lot of landlords hold out, hold out, hold out. But eventually, the market does prevail. If the stores don't have the customers, the stores can't pay the rents, and the rents will eventually have to come down. But I don't think it's going to make any give any help. What will to happen it. to those though? They'll turn into apartments. No, nah. the, the, just the Somebody rents will, will lower a little bit. Somebody will lease them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they'll they'll hit a they'll hit a certain level and, and then they'll be leased again. Like there's all these places on Bleecker Street and that used to be for years was yeah. Cafe uh, Figaro, right? And Borgia and and for years and they, and they finally they went out and it have been one store after another store after another store after another store. Landlords holding out for obviously an unreasonable rent. Eventually, the landlord's gonna settle down to something that can be paid. But are those real estate deals? I, I, you know, they must make a lot of. They must get a lot, a big tax benefit from not leasing space. Because I remember no. about fifteen years ago, I was looking at the space. My friend and I were thinking about opening up a club, and they wouldn't even talk to us. They, they would no. I mean, this thing sat there for like years. But they said, we don't want a comedy club in there. They were looking for like a dollar store or something. You were going to open a comedy club in New York? Uh, and no, in, 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 in Rockland. In New York State. Not, not this. <laughs> Uh-oh. You're a competitor. <laughs> if I have a milkshake. <laughs> Free market competition. <laughs> not around here. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, what was your point again? I have no point. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, immigrants in New York. What about immigrants? So, what was the percentage of immigrants in the beginning when when New York started? In the beginning, a hundred percent. There you go. But yeah, so, that so, settled down. Um, did they have the same difficulties like we have right now? 
Sure. Really? Yeah. By the government? The government? No, no. Um, in the 1840s and 50s, the population of New York City doubled. Mm-hmm. And this was due to the mass arrival of Irish and Germans. Oh. And the people who were here on the scene before them were terrified, were enraged, were into passing laws that would stop them from coming. Uh, Protestants were sure that the Pope was sending all these Catholics to take over the free America. Uh Mm. Uh, That one turned out to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's always been a battle. And... In the new volume that I'm looking at, there that I've that I've written, um, something remarkable occurs. For the first time, there are people: John Dewey, the philosopher; Horace Callan, the philosopher; Randolph Bourne, a civic activist and radical, said, "You know, something amazing has happened in New York, in particular, but in the U.S. in general. That for the first time, and probably in the history of the planet." There has evolved, without anybody planning it, a civilization that has critical numbers of people from virtually every nation on Mm -hmm. Earth living more or less peaceably and cooperatively together. It's not that they didn't, you know, have fights and there were race riots and there were religious battles and all that. But on the whole, there was this kind of rough-hewn cosmopolitanism. And and those people, this was in the 1910s, uh, were facing a tremendous anti-immigration movement. And people arguing in those days with pseudo-scientific rationales that the new people who were coming, the Polish Jews, the Southern Italians, uh, certainly blacks uh, from the South and the Caribbean, were all genetically deficient. And what they were doing was swamping the... Uh, real Americans, the real New Yorkers who were here first, and they felt they owned the place by virtue of cultural primogeniture. Who was here first? Well, the first significant populations were the Dutch mm-hmm. and West Africans, who okay. were their slaves. Yeah. Uh, but then sprinkling of people from around Europe, Okay. okay, but but at some point the Jews took over. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 when, when did that? When did the golden age of New York start? When was that? <laughs> 1910, 1912, There was after two post-pogrom waves of immigration in the eighties and the early zeros, were twenty-five, twenty-eight percent of the population. Oh, the Jews. The Jews. Is that okay. the, that's the most we ever became with 25 to 28 percent of the population. Yeah. When was Didn't that? Feel like it. Wow, felt like we were <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> Not, when, when was that? 1910. Yeah. Because I'm building a time machine. And, 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 and skip, what is I it now? Skip, skip over that. <laughs> Nothing. What is it now? The, the number of Jews. I don't know. It's much less. I, I, much much less because it's much less. But I don't know what the numbers. When are. when um, the Jewish holidays come around like Yom Kippur and uh, Rosh Hashanah years ago, that would be like. Tumbleweeds. Those business was going to be dead. You know, we just prepared for it. And now, for a long time already, but one year I remember noticing, oh, it it doesn't affect us anymore. It's changed. It's not Jews are not the main thing anymore. 
Also, that could also be also because Jews became less observant at the well, same that, time. That, the say, young that, age, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, both, young, both, yeah. both. You know, there's, there's often that sort of Americanization process takes place, uh, but then there's often a revival, and let's go back to the old country ways. And what was remarkable about New York was that it was so big uh, that the enclaves—Jewish, Italian, Czechs, whatever were big enough to be able to sustain an old country culture. There'd be newspapers, there'd be music, there'd be restaurants. Um, and they were strong enough so that they couldn't be invaded. The, the only exception to that was blacks, who for most of the early, certainly the 18th, 19th century, uh, only lived in little tight communities, very small, like here. Manetta Lane was uh, the center of black life for a time, and they were mainly servants who worked for families who were in Washington Square on the north side. I didn't know that. Uh, and then the, they basically Italian migration came in, and little Africa picked up and moved to the Tenderloin, the west. 20s, the West 30s, then a little higher to San Juan Hill, uh, the West 60s. And then after 1900, when there was a race riot, race riots in those days still meant when whites invade black territory and kill or beat or burn or generals show who's boss. Um, I didn't know that either. I, I said race riots was r r blacks rioting. After 1900, when the subway came, and finished in 1904, it ran up the west side and it dipped down under the northern part of Central Park and ran up Lenox Avenue. And there was this major migration of blacks once again to Harlem, but this time amplified by new arrivals from the Caribbean, new arrivals from the south, fleeing, lynching, and the rest of it. And within the space of five years, 70,000 people were living in Central Harlem. They were black. There were struggles by the whites who'd been here before to stop this from happening. At one point, there was a suggestion that they build a 24-foot-high wall along 136th Street to stop the... <laughs> that was Trump, right? Uh, <laughs> Trump's grand-grand-grandfather. Trump avant la lettre. Uh, <laughs> and after that, particularly after the First World War, when the black Harlem Hellfighter troops who had fought valiantly in the First World War and killing a lot of white people, uh, nobody ever again was imagining the possibility of invading Harlem and trashing the place. And also, I mean, on the 1900 race riot, the Irish, basically, who were the ones who were dragging blacks off streetcars and smashing up houses and whatnot, uh, were checked for a moment by the arrival of the New York City Police Department in force, but they actually joined the rioters and dragged the black victims off to the 37th Street station house and formed a gauntlet with lead pipes and sort of made them sort of run and smash. And so you don't like up. the Irish? Mm -hmm. You're not crazy about the Irish? Uh, no, 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 no. The, uh, we we can we can switch and talking about the Irish. Uh, no problem. Uh, but there's Irish and there's Irish. I mean, this was in this again in this period, 1920. You're talking about the Irish Revolution. You're talking about the anti-British uh, support from American Irish was enormous. Right. 
Uh, and when it came down to 1914, 15, 16, 17, are we going to get into the war? The Irish were among the strongest, both, of course, the Germans were too as well, and the Jews didn't want to get into the war to fight on the, on the side of the Tsar, who was programming away. Yeah. So it was a tremendously, you know, contested terrain because the people who were really at the top of the heap, the Anglo-Protestants who felt themselves entitled to rule, wanted us to get into the war on the side of the British. And the city was divided vigorously and nastily. So what you're describing is that um, we're, not, these, we're not really living in such tumultuous times as we think we are. It's been much more tumultuous. It's Imagine if they had social media and everything like that in in the in the nineteen nineteen fourteen during World War One. Oh. Well, they had newspapers that were fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty newspapers in town because all those language groups had their own presses, right. uh, and in fact were suppressed uh, once the war broke out. The Irish radical newspapers were all suppressed. Uh, some Irish radicals were thrown in jail. So, yes. Uh, he hates World War One because it feels that that's... World War One is worth hating. Yeah. He th- Thank he, you. He thinks that's the beginning of the... Uh, that's the original sin of the Middle East, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question, and you kind of touched on it earlier, uh, about police brutality. To ruin, you have yeah. to ruin the moment. Well, 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 I'm sure we'll get back to it. Uh, we, uh, we had a, an author in here last week, uh, Richard Zacks, who has written extensively about police brutality in the 1880s and 1890s. First of all, what to what extent did police brutality go? Because our podcast has been tracking his interests lately. Like, <laughs> the booker here. I got, I got. Uh, and also, I mean, how does it compare to what we understand today about police brutality? Uh, it was rampant. It was business as usual. Uh, and there was a sense that every street corner where black young men hung out as Irish and Italians and others did in their neighborhoods uh, were a potential danger spot and were to be broken up. Uh, there, I quote some police lieutenant who's explaining to a rookie who uh, beat the hell out of a group of blacks that this was really cool. I'm glad you did it. We'd give you a commendation if it was you know, a bigger deal than that. Um, but you should arrest somebody for disorderly conduct, which covers a huge multitude of sins. That way you cover yourself. I mean, it was simply standard operating procedure. Uh, blacks were potential menace and were to be kept in line and in order. And if they were in the wrong part of town, what are you doing here? Sort of thing, you know. How much did things change after, like, the, what was it, the Knapp Commission and all that other stuff? I'm sorry? Like in the 70s and the... When they had like the Knapp Commission in New York, uh, about police. Well, commission. they they had commissions in New York in the 1890s. They huh. had commissions in New York huh. in the 1870s. Something like every 20 years, there'd be a scandal. <laughs> but you know, this is not the cops' fault. And it's not only brutality. This is a function of criminalizing things that people want. So, I mean, most notoriously in prohibition, you you're imposing your morality on people who don't accept it. And one way of dealing with that is you pay off the people who are themselves not interested in enforcing this. Uh, so the cops in that case were on the take, and but who was responsible? 
you know. Uh, it's like a scene out of The Godfather. Marlon Brando says the same thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Women, which is something people want, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we talk about the, the cops. The cops will tolerate that, but they won't tolerate other things because won't exactly what you said. Because yeah. Yeah. they don't want to be busting people's balls about stuff like that. I think he's right. So like, you favor now, legalizing the drugs and stuff like that. They're still doing it now. I mean, Jeff Sessions with the oh, marijuana. stop with the Jeff Sessions. What? Well, Jeff Sessions is talking every day All about All roads leads to Jeff Sessions with you and Trump. Yeah, yeah, he's got to go. Well, they both got to go. We know that. But doesn't look like they're going. They're going. I don't know. They're going on what? Russia? Oh, yeah, on money laundering. Who Trump? Not yeah. Sessions. No, 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 yeah, Sessions. Not, not gonna happen. Yeah, Did you see the, the story today in Times about Davos people being interviewed about Trump? I mean, the Davos crowd are super liberal, uh, and they want climate. You know, right. this and there's a whole list of good things. On the other hand, they say, well, not for attribution, but Trump is making us a lot of money. That corporate tax break, you know, that was a big deal. And there's more goodies that are promised. And the fact of the matter is that for all of his shenanigans and verbal gaffes and all the rest of it, uh, although I just saw on the TV strip uh, thing just now in the restaurant, Stormy Daniels is moving closer, <laughs> closer to the front rank. But uh, the Republicans in Congress uh, are getting what they want. And the people who are supporting them are getting what they want. And they're the ones who've got their hands on the power. So I don't see them... Dumping Trump. Well, the thing is, not once they and get if what they, they want. They dump Trump. Who do you got? You got Pence. Pence. Well, Pence is even well, well, worse. Well, I mean, Pence is worse for us, but not for them. No, no, exactly. The, so they, they, can, they really once they get all this stuff. Yeah, but they don't the, really need Trump. Trump is anymore. a great distraction. <laughs> well, you know, you pay attention to him. You're not looking at each committee, which or each official administrative uh, unit of the government has been put in the hands of somebody who wants to zero budget their own department. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never seen dismantle clean air requirements. I mean push the the temporal marker back, you know, decades. I mean look at uh, what's his name? Scott um head of the EPA. What's his name? Scott Pruitt. Uh, Scott Pruitt. I mean yeah. this guy's been trying to destroy the EPA for years. Now they yeah. put him ahead of it. They've all been Rick handed Perry. the keys to their respective uh, closets and it's not good. And so to the degree that you're focusing on the latest tweet, then you're not paying attention but, to what's really happening. But also all these tax breaks, and also now they want to increase spending. They want to increase the military budget. Um, oh, well, Tony, like a broken record. What's gonna, well, what's going to happen? I mean, eventually, what, we're going to be $50 trillion in debt? I mean, I, that used to be important to Republicans uh, two years ago, but now it's not important. It's anymore. never really been important to them. <laughs> <laughs> important to, it's still important to some of them, but I think they lost that. Yeah. Good. If you would have write a book now about the history of New York now, how significant Trump would be uh, as a New Yorker to New York history? That's a good question. Yeah. I'm here for the good question. <laughs> Trump comes out of a particular New York situation. I mean, there's several things. One of them is the dyna interborough dynamics, as you might say. I mean, he's a kid who grew up privileged in real estate land but in queens it was small time stuff mm -hmm. and his vision was to go across like so many others uh across the east river and tackle the big guys but the big guys in real estate and cultural affairs spit on him so he's got 
you know, all this New York resentment of Outerborough for the pillars of Manhattan society, which is fueling a lot of his stuff. I'm going to show these fuckers. Mm. Uh, oops, excuse me. Uh, no, we can That's okay. Yeah. Very can, much. Yeah, we say they've, cha- all the time. they've changed the rules. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's an acolyte of Roy Cohn. And he even said at one point in one of his troubles, where's my Roy Cohn? You know, uh, I got an attorney general who's recused themselves. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Roy Cohn was a sophisticated thug. Which, which, by the way, I I think that to be fair to Trump, I think a lot of presidents did have attorney generals who would not have recused themselves, starting with John Kennedy. And prob- absolutely right yeah absolutely yeah, right that's yeah. one of their jobs yeah. so, uh, so it's not like trump is like so unprecedented trump is just like a lot of things he does he has the the lack of um sense he says these things out loud yeah but a lot of this stuff is really i think what's always gone on i don't i that's why that's why with this obstruction of justice thing unless they find an underlying crime a russian crime i think obstruction of justice is ridiculous well, I think they're going to find money laundering. I mean, I think that... No, well, you can think whatever been, you want. Well, but, I mean, just yeah. from the evidence that I can see clearly, I mean, Trump sold a house to a Russian oligarch uh, in 2008 during the housing market for a $60 million profit, right. a house that neither one it, of them it, lived it in. It doesn't bother you that they that they go in and they give this guy a proctological exam of everything he's ever done and they find Who? something. Trump. I mean, this is... I mean, really? this, we haven't this, even seen his taxes. I'm, what are you talking I'm about? I'm saying, like, it reminds me of Whitewater. I mean, I'm sure we all knew that Whitewater was was dirty, but only a, the hateful Republicans thought that it was worth the time and effort and the damage to the country to 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 try to catch that Clinton did something with some real estate deal. Like, if if he's throwing the elections with the Russians, if he's a traitor to the, of course, we need to find that out and get him out of there. Right. But if he had some slightly shady real estate deal that any one of us might have, you know, I mean, how many times has somebody said, listen, it's $50, but if you pay cash, it's 40 mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, this is like... Well, a, that's a little different. Than... It's not a little different. It's oh, whatever, no, it's, it's, it's completely whatever, different. It's what everybody does. When you deal with Russians, you're dealing with shady characters. No, you're dealing with an enemy of the United States. No, not, no. You're talking, about, you're talking about real estate deals that he made years ago. You're not talking about anything he did as president or anything that's affecting his job as president. Well, we don't know. I think we it's a bad don't... precedent. If he... I'm all, I want to know that the president is president of the United States and loyal to the country. I want to know he's not a traitor. I'm really not interested to find out that Trump, who in all his billions of dollars of deals, did something that they can find that wasn't quite right. I, I think that's just, I, I think that's just partisan hatred. I'm partisan sure. I'm sure hatred? they can. Fi- I'm sure they can find something. I'm sure they can find something in almost anybody. Uh, uh, money laundering. Are you sure they can find something? Well, I mean, it depends on how you find money laundering. At some point, it might arrive. It, but, you know, he's been audited many times. Has he? How do we know that? Because he said it? Everybody with that kind of money gets audited by the IRS. And uh, they didn't find it under normal circumstances. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we're going to turn the whole country upside down to find money laundering. Well, don't you think that there should be an investigation? We know that the no. Russians interfered with other elections. Yes, I think there should be an investigation. There should be an investigation. Yes, that, I said that, yes. Well, if, if it's a threat to our democracy, yes. If it's something he did 20 years ago in some house well, that we don't, bought, we don't know what's going to come out of this. Uh, okay. But why are the Republicans... You don't get my point. But, no, but, but I don't think you understand, why are Republicans not taking this seriously? Well, some are, some are. That's politics. You, you don't know why they're not taking it seriously? Well, I mean, why politics... Did, why, why did the Democrats for 30 years, why were they unable to see that Bill Clinton probably raped somebody and all of a sudden, like three weeks ago, they woke up and said, Juanita was telling the truth. We all knew it. As a yeah. matter of fact, Al Franken's got to resign. And I mean, I mean, 
Politics. Well, I don't think anybody said what need of us telling the truth. We all know it. Yeah, now they're saying we, they, we, everybody should be believed. But I'm saying that, like they, oh. were, they were going after Anita Hill, I mean, uh, Clarence Thomas, and believed Anita Hill because she made, you know, Clarence Thomas made some dirty joke, put, put the pubic hair on my coke, whatever it was. And that was, that's what they believed. But nothing Bill Clinton did registered with them. You had people who couldn't get through interviews without just bursting out in tears telling the story about it. What happened to her when she was in the room with Bill Clinton? And then I went and I told my friends that day, and the friends there, yes, she told us that day that Bill Clinton, no. Why, why didn't they see that? It's politics. I don't know. Yeah, but, you do know. For the same reason they don't see it with Trump. It's partisan politics. And if the Russia... It's a little different, though, when you're talking about... Uh, I, I believe that the Russians affected the outcome of our election. Well, so, there, listen, there's a lot of senators, like people like Lindsey Graham, whatever it is. If they see evidence... No, we know that the Russians were trying to hack the election. question right. is whether Trump was involved in it. Well, and I, so far, we have zero evidence of that that we, that we know about. Right. If there is evidence, I believe that you will be pleasantly surprised that a lot of Republicans will respond to real evidence of a traitor in the White House. Well, I, I, I believe that. Maybe I, I'm wrong. I, believe I don't that. think that there was. I, I think we know that the Russians were going to release information that would help Trump's campaign. They were happy about that. But honestly, yeah, as far as like, I, I mean, if that constitutes a conspiracy, OK. But I don't think they were like, OK, I don't think they were in. In cahoots? Well, that's what collusion well, implies. Well, I mean, I don't if, think it was. If the Russian influenced the election, I mean, the I Russians st- knew what Trump wanted. And Trump knew. That no, the I Russian understand, government. but if if they influenced the election, I don't know what's wrong with that because we influence every election in the world. You know, that's us. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, mean, but, but the point is, I mean, if we somebody, should we should be doing everything that's exactly what they did and how to prevent in the future. I mean, and listen, that should be. The stuff, Why? Because sorry, the stuff coming out of the FBI now, I know, I know, like, you know, like I look at both sides, the stuff, the text messages coming out of the FBI are just mind boggling. And I mean, just in the last year, 30,000 of Hillary Clinton's emails disappear. Now another tens of thousands of text messages, always the very emails and text messages that we want to know about for these things. Both sides are dirty. Yeah. Both sides are dirty. I'm, I, 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 and I'm convinced of it. I mean, who would want to be investigated by somebody who was writing these kind of emails but did you did you read those texts? I mean, they were denigrating yeah. everybody, not just Trump, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. No, they weren't. The only denigrating one they Hillary. were. Yes, they were. Well, they the said only was, one they it, weren't denigrating was uh, Kasich. That's it. No, but they said it was essential that Trump didn't win. Well, because he was right. Yeah, so the the course. very the very people who were investigating Hillary's emails, who know that if she's indicted, that she probably won't win the election, are the very same people who feel that it's totally unacceptable for Trump to win. Now, unless you are really stubborn, just like Trump-Russia collusion ought to bother any American, that's got to disturb any American. An FBI agent with that kind of power, the guy who's actually changing the words from gross, extreme care, gross negligence to extreme carelessness, feels that they need an insurance policy against Trump winning. And he's also the person investigating whether or not Hillary committed a felony. This is, this is ridiculous. This oh. this is America. This is we're in a real shithole here. I mean, it's on both sides. That's so. Nuts. What you're saying is, is imagine that, if you imagine it was your liberty on the line and you found text messages like that about you. But did you see what he, they wrote about uh, Hillary Clinton as well? They, but but the, I yeah, mean, I didn't see. I didn't see. As a matter of fact, I really didn't see anything about Hillary Clinton. Well, but I'm presuming show, I'm show, presuming they they made fun of her or something. But the fact but, is, the bottom line is, we know they felt it was totally it was a threat to the nation if she were not president. 
Okay, and they had and they had a say in okay, it. Okay, now now let me That's ask crazy. you this: they uh, they were denigrating Hillary Clinton while they were investigating her. Is that okay? No, none of it's okay. None of none of it. I'm it's, it's you, not okay. You don't think? Say someone, like, say everybody in Miller's team's a Democrat, even though they're not. They're ninety percent Republican. Are you saying that if a person has uh, nothing, Mueller's team is okay. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Mueller's team. No, but team. what I'm saying is, if a person has a political affiliation, they can't investigate uh, somebody who has the opposite political affiliation. Uh, well, that's. I think that um, everybody has a political leaning, right? But some people really fight against that. Some. Some. I, I would hope that if I were a judge or I was an investigator, I would really try to keep that in check. I, I mean, I, I imagine that I would see the disgusting reality of what I'd become if I was talking this way when I was influenced. I had my hands close to the levers of, of, of history. Right. And I'm talking in such a way about the presidential candidates. I would say this is, this is wrong. You're having I mean, a private yeah, I mean, conversation. Listen, I've made this analogy before. And it's one of my greatest hits, right? That, that you, get, you get mad. You have a that, few. But but these are good. That that we know that you can't even trust a doctor to judge the results of a medication in an experiment whether it, it's efficacious or not, because bias is so. We need double-blind experiments because human bias is so rampant that when you that you that you see what you want to see. Now you have not just that you have. Not just somebody with a leaning, but like an an advocate, a, like a almost a, 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 a you know what's a, a what's the word when you're when you're like really into it. Huh. Uh, I I think uh, I, whatever you know, like 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 somebody who's who's crazy about this stuff. He has no business investigating them. He has no investig investigating uh, who Trump. Either of them, but but yes, uh, he had no business doing the Hillary investigation if he felt that he. A lot of people have political leanings, but say, you know, whoever wins, wins. You know, I can live with it. I prefer Hillary, but if Trump wins, I'm okay. And some people say, if Trump wins, we need an insurance policy. We, we need something mm. to do. We, this is a threat to the nation. Well, that, we don't the want guy, that person. That guy is a Republican, too. Who? Strzok? The guy that uh, made the uh, text. Uh... I don't know. Tony, I don't, I don't know why you're excusing it. You're, you're well, defending you're, the no, indefensible. No, because no, if I didn't tell you cherry picking if, comments, I'm, I'm cherry picking comments. If I didn't, if I didn't tell you what party, if I just told you the story, but I wouldn't tell you the party, right? You'd be like, that's ridiculous. It's only when I, it's only when the parties, when you know which is a Democrat, which Republican, that, that your opinion forms. Well, he, but he's on not the face a, of it, it's wrong. He's not a Democrat, so I don't why care. Would he, so, we, we read his text messages. You read some of them. Listen, read if all I were, them. if 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 he were on a jury, yeah, I would I and I found that out after the jury had decided. I would over I would call for a new trial. I would say no, no, no juror who was in, who had was so had such a stake in it should have been deciding somebody's fate. Obvious to me, it's obvious. Well, he wasn't deciding anybody's fate as part of a large investigation. All right, all right, but he was. These were the people who changed the wording from the wording which would have made it a criminal fit the criminal statute to not fitting the criminal statute. Well, because they didn't think it fit the criminal statute, no? <sighs> yes, maybe they maybe because they really didn't think so, or maybe because <laughs> maybe because they thought it was so horrible that Trump could win. Listen, I don't know what you think. It was it was pretty obvious <laughs> I, that Hillary should have been charged. I you driving you crazy. <laughs> but you know, I just hope that I just hope when I get audited, I said this back then but I said it again, I hope I hope I can just mysteriously like lose my hard drives. Like I, I mean like no citizen can get away with this.
Do you know what it means to lose records when the IRS wants to investigate you? And then the FBI is losing records and the Secretary of State is losing records, the nation classified records, and everybody's oh, you know, things happen. Shit happens. They would put me in jail for this kind of thing. You agree with that? You try well, losing your, your, your hard drive. Just, oh, I sent it to somebody, but I sent it regular mail and it got lost in the mail. Sorry. Yeah. Well, there are always fires. <laughs> 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 I mean, you are Italian, so. Yeah. I mean, things do get lost in fires. A fanatic. That's the word I was looking a for. Fanatic. A fanatic. Did, uh, Jesus uh, Christ. I'm having cognitive decline. <laughs> he said capacious, and I can't even remember fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my base. Oh, we got, we, we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, based on, uh, you know, the history of New York, where do you see New York going? What is what? Based on the history of New York that you've been studying, where do you see us going from there? New York City. One of the major trajectories that I track in both of these volumes and will continue to is the movement of New York from being on the edge of the global system when it's a little pissant backwater of the Dutch Empire to becoming an important provincial port of the British Empire to becoming momentarily at least till Hamilton sold us down the river uh, the capital of the US of A to then becoming the critical interlink between industrializing Europe and the agricultural North American continent. That's what New York does with the Erie Canal. It makes that link uh, between the coast and the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And factory goods come from England and wheat and cotton go back to New York to becoming the center of the industrialization process, to becoming the financial contender for world dominance. Um, and in the First World War, which we probably agree has all kinds of horrible uh. consequences, uh, one of the things that happened is that <laughs> the United States goes into that war a third world country in terms of its financial economy. It was the biggest industrial superpower. But we were three billion dollars in hock to Europeans who had been investing in U.S. mills and factories and ranches and all the rest of them. We come out of that war because England and France had to sell off all of their holdings to get the money to buy weaponry and barbed wire and poison gas and all the rest of that stuff. And we come out of the war three billion dollars ahead of the game. And New York is finally in a position to contend for global power with London, which yeah. had been the center of the, this universe. They don't pull it off because England still has the empire, England still has the navy, and so the question of where the center is, is hovers right somewhere in the middle of the North Atlantic. Yeah. It's only after the Second War that the city uh, emerges on the desiccated bones of the British Empire uh, as the center of the world, capped arguably by the United Nations arriving in town. So since then, the question is, where will New York be on the global scale of things? Will it continue to be that center of primacy, or will, for instance, Beijing, not the city itself, but the yeah. Chinese, or the Germans as a base for European capital? There's, at this point, there's a, almost a multivariant center so at the highest satellite's eye view level of uh, of analysis, that would be the question to discover. Mm -hmm. uh, is is the New York going to sustain its position, or 
will it be forced to share or even lose the primacy? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, uh, what do you call it when you refer to China as Beijing? Do you know what that? There's a word for that. I bet you he knows what it is. When you refer to a country by the name of the city? Yeah, for, the, for that, the, like, that, that uh, mechanism. That... Synecdote. Correct. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's like New York. There are street names in New York City that stand for larger things. So Wall Street is finance. Broadway is theater. Ellis Island is immigration. The Bowery is poverty. You know, etc. Like so Dougal Street is the comedy cellar. Muslim is, <laughs> but they're New York streets. Right. Uh, but they mean the general function. Right. But I'm going to play for you something that you're going to be surprised about because I was surprised about it too. And then we can finish. Doesn't take much to surprise me. No, this is this is a good one. I'll, I'll be able to hear it. Who? Synecdoche. <laughs> Oh, you mean the pronunciation? Yeah, did you know that? I, I always called it synecdoche. I've been because... calling it the wrong thing yeah, all this time. Yeah, all this time, time synecdoche. So... I just found that out the other day. That's why that I said I've been saying it wrong. I heard it sounds like connecticut. Yeah, yeah, synecdoche. Anyway, it sounds a... like me saying it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you saying synecdoche. Anyway, it's, it's a very good word. It's a very good word. So anyway, I, I think China's never going to become. You think? I, I I think the United States is here to stay. I think that that. I think United States. You're really optimistic. I think we're not in decline. I think the only, the I, only, the only thing worse than our situation is every other country. I believe. I believe the same. And the reason I really is believe the, it is the power of immigrants. Us coming here and helping out. Well, it's true. We're the only Western country that doesn't have negative population growth. Sure. As much as we, the 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 Muslim issue, we have. Fewer Muslims percentage than other things, but but more importantly, we seem to integrate them mm-hmm. better than uh, than than other countries do. Uh, people are it, Russia is terrible. China, for whatever reason, it seems like it'll always be and some the thing kind of is basket like, when, case. When, when people come here, you know, they come here with a dream. They come here to to add something. So yeah. there is that power, you know. Okay, what about the polarization of? Uh, I mean, this this is really turning into two countries. United States. Yeah, I, th- I think America has real problems. We're coming apart at the scenes, but I still I don't see any country overtaking us as the center of the world. I I don't see it. Not China. I don't see no. it. Well, hope you're right. I mean, well, I'm no expert on China, but some people who I've met who are experts on China seem to feel that way too. It's not. It's not a. It's not a center for innovation and dynamism. It's very much just a. a they built shit to ship out to. Uh, to America, they build you know? a lot of shit. They build a lot of shit. They make a lot of money. Sure, but um, and they set out to deal with uh, pollution and with staggering results in an incredibly short space of time. I mean, there are some virtues, uh, not virtuosity, uh, in central command power. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm so sure. So it's there's a rival model there. I, I, uh, but they probably could do so well. They're probably making great strides dealing with pollution because it's so polluted in China. Let's do... Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Let's do... uh, It's a wonderful life. uh, And imagine where would America be if China disappeared? Well, we'd have to figure out how to get these... Make these cheap cheap goods here. Whatever, you know, something... something Where would China be if America disappeared? We're we're everything. Everything. We're everything and everything that's coming. (laughs) And and, and Uh, they, they exist... 
to they, feed this beast. Did, which, did, which, didn't Great Britain once say that? And Turkey and I don't know. I don't. I don't Rome know. I'm and, no. I'm no expert on world history. I'm just saying that yes, they, they they have a certain model there, but I just don't see it it rivaling America I in agree. terms of being the we are the greatest the place that everybody in the, in the world wants to be, and the place where innovation comes from, and the place where it's, uh, values. You know, all the corny stuff. You know, this pursuit of happiness. It's true. Pursuit of happiness happens here, not in it's China. True. It's, it's going to be, it's gonna be for a long time, I think. Well, he, he lived in China. Yeah. You don't agree? Years. No, is there I don't pers- agree. There's pursuit of happiness in China? Uh, yes, there is. No? Okay. Now. Okay. Now that uh, capitalism is making its way into China. We're not I talking mean, about you, a bar named Pursuit of Happiness. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you see people in China, I, I forget what the exact statistic is, but people in their 50s in China have seen something like 100 years worth of change that would occur in America. People in their 80s have seen like, 240 years of change something like that like i remember on my i mean i again i am no expert in well, it just uh, shows how backwards they were uh, well yeah but it all doesn't it also uh kind of foreshadow the the strides that they're going to make in the next 50 years no i mean the, not at the all. uh microcosm for me my office when i lived there was on like the 12th floor the 14th floor and beijing is completely flat so if you have a panoramic view, you can see 10, 20, 30 miles in any direction. And so if you would look around the city at any given time, you would see two dozen cranes like at any point in the distance, like building a new building, building a new yeah, something. Americans buy a lot of shit. And now Amer- they're building buildings that uh, have a, a zero carbon. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. The Italian embassy actually is uh, uh, yeah. one I heard is the most sustainable building in Beijing. Wow. Look, I have, tr- I have tremendous respect for Meanwhile, all, we're all going the back Asian. To coal. I have tremendous respect for all the Asian cultures. I'm not trying to say that China is. No, I don't think not you're capable that, of great you just, things. You started off this podcast by talking about how difficult it is to own a business here. And I don't see that. I mean, you have to pay off a shitload of people to start a business in China, but they don't have the same barriers as you do. I'm just saying that that someone who wants to dream big and start Apple computer, mm-hmm. whatever it is, I just I think America is very special. If we believe all this party line stuff about our strength is our diversity and all that stuff, which which you guys tell me all every day, <laughs> then then you can't have it both ways. If strength is our diversity, our diversity, China has no strength at all. No, but China if diversity also is our strength. Have... Oh, well, even China, even if they did become a world power, an hour later they. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, all right, last all right. question yeah. before we done the New York personality. You know, it's for the table for everybody. What do you, what what makes us so uh us so uh you know it's charming you think you're one of us, but go ahead. I've been here for two years. You're one years. of us, you're one of us. Didn't I give you enough information? <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, what what makes us, you know, the personality that we have, which is you know, people can say it's rude, it's you know you wanna rush everything, you 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 always have a big dream, all that. Like, what made that personality for everybody, Mike? Uh, yeah, me. Yeah. Um, what, what shapes the personality of a New Yorker? It's so different that people can tell right away you're from New York. Well, the char- that maybe the caricature of a New Yorker. Yeah. What people think rude. Well, uh, New York. It's very hard to pin down New York attributes yeah. uh, because there's 8 million people here, you know, uh, and there is no such thing as a New Yorker, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, there are... I spend a lot of time in Mexico City. My wife is, is Mexican, so we go back and forth. And one of the things that is 
striking is the kind of um, conviviality of people uh, on the street. You, you're walking along a street, not if it's jam-packed and crowded and all of that, but, you know, moderate amount of traffic, and people will say, Buenos dias, buenos. Uh, you walk into a restaurant, uh, and you'll be passing a table where people are eating, and you'll say, buen provecho. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a good meal. Uh, I mean, and then you imagine walking into a New York restaurant and, <laughs> uh, or stopping somebody on a subway and saying, good morning. Yeah, uh, I know. You know, th- th- there is a, a, some very broad level uh, a cultural climate that is more individualized. Uh, and that can lead to people being uh, aggressive and innovative, and it can also lead to them drowning in isolation and loneliness and poverty. Uh, So it's not all plus uh, and minus. It depends on who you are, where you are, how much money you've got, what your social connections are. Uh, That, to me, is what's most impressive about New York. Uh, is that in fact there is no uniformity there uh, there is ferocious diversity and it can be plus and it can be minus where did you grow up in new york i started in queens uh and uh, we moved farther out on the island but the post-war migration uh valley stream was the, the next stop uh, and then rose to the great heights of uh, Great Neck. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, what about you moving from outside? Oh, we got we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it's it up. It's the last thing. Okay, go ahead. Why um, him? The thing I I mean, never ask Stephen. He want to wrap it up. He's got to be up at five in the morning. Go ahead. Uh, hustle. Uh-huh. I've lived in five countries now, and I've never experienced a place where I always feel like I have to be working. And it's not that. I I don't want to. I I Mm -hmm. feel fortunate that I'm in a place where I can have so many opportunities to do that. But if I'm not doing it, then the next guy next to me is going to be doing it. And um, it's it's, uh, intoxicating being in a place where I can step out at any time of the day, do whatever I want. And um, if you hustle, you you can probably make it. And that, I think, is a uh, personification of America in general. That's what I think of when I think of New York. God bless. Oh, it is America to me. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, you want to China Priya? Yes. Twitter, would you like to share your contact? Your would you like to share your social media? Or Twitter? Like or, do, do you tweet email? or anything? Or just plug his book again? Oh, Gotham by Mark I wrote Mark a Wallace. book. I wrote two books. Yeah. One of them is called Gotham, which is the first in the series of hopefully books that will carry the story on down till now. The one that's just come out is called Greater Gotham because it starts at the moment when the five boroughs, in fact, merge in one giant super city called, in those days, Greater New York. Nice. Uh, the next volume, well, the one I'm working on, will carry the story from the end of the First World War to the end of the Second World War. Okay. And don't forget to write about World War One. Yeah, no, no, World War, <laughs> World War One. World War One is already covered in this book, yeah. and it's a, it's a nasty business. Yeah, Tony. All right. Oh, yes, boy. sir. Twitter. Well, he doesn't uh, tweet. He doesn't tweet. Uh, 
I, nobody follow, follow me on Facebook or come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good night, everybody. Oh, what about us? R2 Debo, and then for us, uh, you know, the uh, Life from America podcast at thecomedyseller.com. Thank you. Good night. You were listening to Live from America podcast. To contact us, please go to www.livefromamericapodcast.com. Brought to you by the Comedy Seller and Rethink Production. 